Tonight, we're going to get to hear from Jonah, our missions pastor. He's going to start us out. Man, that was better than I thought it would be. What I learned there was that um, Sydney doesn't brush her teeth. Is that what everybody else heard? I'm just kidding. Twice a day. Twice a day. Sorry, I give Sid too, too hard of a time. So this is my first time at the table. I'm not familiar with table etiquette necessarily. Do I stand here? Do I stand on the stage? Do I sit? You guys are all sitting. What's appropriate? There's no table etiquette. No rules. Cool. Well, guys, I'm pumped to be here as you guys kind of start this conversation this semester as college and young adults together once a month talking about these Christian basics of what it means um, to follow Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus. And I think it's important, as Sid said, to come back to those things and check our hearts and check where we're at on that um, in regular seasons in our life. Um, kind of cool. We're doing this, on, if you come on Sunday mornings, a series right now um, called Exploring the Essentials, which is this things really work together hand in hand. And hopefully by Christmas, you guys will all feel good about the basics of faith, which is awesome. Um, yeah, so as we're kind of getting into this conversation about the basics of Christianity and, and that kind of thing, um, I wanted to, to take a moment to encourage you. Some of you um, here have doubt, and you have questions, and maybe you're here and you're like, I don't really know if I believe this stuff, but they have good music, um, or there's a guy or a girl here that I like, and so I come with them, and just know, like, that's great. Like, it's great if you have doubts and questions, or if you um, ask yourself, if you woke up today and said, do I even believe any of this? Um, that's perfectly fine. And, and so for you, we actually have a space this fall um, here at Vista called Alpha. Um, Alpha is a place for anybody to come with their questions about life and faith and sit together with other people like them and ask those questions together. It's on Monday nights at 6.30. We have food, so you get a free meal covered every week. And then you guys do food sometimes here as well. So like that's, that works out great. Two nights a week, maybe. You don't have to worry about dinner. Um, so Alpha, it's a place for you. The first question that we ask at Alpha is, is there more to life than this? That's a question. And then we seek an answer to that question together over the course of about 11 weeks. Um, so if you're interested in Alpha, you can, ch uh, Dusty and Jordan will be at a table out in the commons um, after this, and you can talk to them about, about Alpha. Some of you are ready to take a next step, a deeper step um, in faith. Um, you're like, I, I believe this, I'm locked in, um, but I need something more. I need something more as I'm, as I'm walking with Jesus. And so we have the Apprentice series which will be happening on Sunday mornings during the 11.45 service. It's, it's a great space for you. If you're like this, if you have that itch for more um, of, of life with Jesus right now, it's a great, great space. Nolan, there he is. Nolan will be out there at the same table, and you can ask him all of your questions about the Apprentice series. Cool? Sweet. Nobody said yes, so I guess it's cool. Um, so me, so my, I have a wife. Um, believe it or not, her name's Brooke. Uh, she's not here tonight. Uh, because we are foster parents, uh, and we actually have a baby in our home right now. She's a month old, and so we're not sleeping at all, so my apologies if I say anything outlandish. Uh, I'll, we'll blame it on that. Um, but over the course of the past like year and a half, we've actually been um, foster parents, or we've cared for it in some capacity, whether long-term or, long or short-term, for 11 tiny humans um, in the past year and a half. Um, and I don't say that to be like, oh my gosh, we're, we're so good, but truly, like, that's the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our system. Um, but we've had a lot of tiny people come through our life. And one of my favorite things about when we do have kids in our home, because we have these weird gaps and we don't, these weird gaps, one of my favorite things about when we do have kids in our home is kid snacks. Am I right? 
kid snacks. So when we have kids in our home, I know that I go to the pantry and I open it, and there's going to be goldfish and maybe some Oreos, maybe some animal crackers, popsicles in the freezer, and chicken nuggets in the freezer, and we're good to go, right? Kid snacks. I'm all about the kid snacks. And so when we have kids in our home, I know that I'm going to have access to those kid snacks. And now as a fully grown, independent adult, could I go to the store anytime and buy those things for myself if I wanted to? Yes. But there's just something in me that's like, no, when you don't have kids, you need to be an adult and like not get into all of the kid snacks. Uh, but when we do have kids, I'm excited for them, but I'm really excited for the kid snacks. And there's this voice in my head, though, telling me um, that eating chicken nuggets and a popsicle for dinner every night is just not something that an adult does. Um, if that's you, no judgment at all. Um, in college, that was pretty similar to what I ate. But... Um, so when the kids are gone, I, I try to act like an adult and eat the, the boring adult foods. And so it's funny, I, I was thinking about this idea, and I don't, I don't know why it came to me, but um, I told Sydney I was going to be talking about chicken nuggets, and she was like, okay. Um, but it's funny, in, in some ways, I think n- we never quite completely shed that little kid inside of us, um, that as much as we want to like mature and become older and more independent and important and busy, there's that little kid inside of us in some capacity that always influences and affects our lives in some way. And this isn't entirely a bad thing because Jesus told his disciples that they needed to become more like children as they followed him, um, not less. And though even, we, even though we can have a childlike faith, I don't think that necessarily means that we need to have a childlike maturity. I think those are, those are two different things. And, and here's what I mean when I say that. Um, I think as we mature in our faith, there are certain things that we have to come to terms with. We have to grow up in our faith a little bit. And this, over the course of this semester, that's kind of what um, pastors and leaders in our church are going to invite you to do, is we're going to grow up in our faith together. We're going to take a step from childhood in our faith into adulthood. And maybe you're just starting out, and that's great. And so that, that journey will be a little different for you. But for those of us who've been following Jesus for a time, this is to see we're going to try to take a step into adulthood with our faith. And so Sydney asked me to come tonight, and she said, hey, will you talk about the Bible? Which is a really broad topic to talk about, um, but that's okay. We, we got it. Um, but yeah, I said, let's talk about the Bible. And then I was thinking about this idea of growing up in our faith and um, becoming an adult in our faith and that sort of thing. And I thought about what are the ways in which my inner child affects me to think about how I read the Bible? Like, how does, how does my inner child influence me in the way that I read the Bible? Because we all have that little kid in us. And so I was thinking about this, um, and I think first, um, when it comes to reading the Bible, I think we can often be tempted to approach reading the Bible as if it's a collection of divine chicken nuggets. We're not ready for that one yet. We'll get there in a second. Sorry. should have gave you a script, man. I told you. That was my fault. Um, We're tempted. We read the Bible like a collection of divine chicken nuggets. What do I mean? I mean that it can be tempting to read the Bible as if it is a disconnected collection of good sayings, teachings, and stories to apply to our lives. You hear me? You know what I'm saying? And so we we come to the Bible, and and we look at it, and we try to find these little chunks and pieces and verses and sayings and, and tiny little snippets and stories of the Bible and try to apply them to our lives like divine chicken nuggets. Why is this? And I think, I think in part it's due to the hyperspeed world that we live in. We live in a fast and ever-growing faster world, and we don't have time to sit and read and dive deeply into the Bible. All that we have time for is those fast chicken nugget, little nuggets of the Bible. 
Um, there's no time for slow practices like sitting down and reading the Bible, and our world moves too quickly for that. We do not have time to sit and engage and dive deeply into the mystery and the story of the Bible. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. And so instead, we need the Happy Meal Bible. We need the Bible that we can get on the way in the drive through get our Happy Meal, load up, get those little chunks of the Bible as we go about our day. We don't often sit and read long sections and chunks of the Bible and become enveloped into the story and mystery of the Bible because it takes too much time. It simply takes too much time to dive deeply into the mystery of the Bible. And so that's something that most of us are convinced we don't have enough of is time. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to sit and read the Bible. And this isn't just about the Bible. In fact, um, books in general are kind of suffering these days. Um, In 2018, 30% of Americans did not even pick up a single book throughout the entire year, and only 19% of Americans would say that they read for pleasure. Who would say they read for pleasure? Maybe maybe that number's wrong. Anybody? That's 19-ish percent. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So 30% of Americans didn't touch a book throughout the entire year of 2018, and only 19% of people read for pleasure. Because reading faces quite a bit of competition these days. I mean, think about it. Social media, streaming services, we have Netflix and Hulu and all sorts of other things. And then we also have workism. Some of you guys are in, in college. Some of you have stepped in the first section of your career. And in our culture, we're addicted to work. We're working and working and working. We don't have time to read because we're hustling. You know what I'm saying? And so we live in a distracted age. And so for this reason, among others, it's difficult for many of us to sit down and read the Bible on a regular basis, me included. And as a result, I think we miss out on the beauty and the mystery of the story of the Bible. And now, in picking up on our inability to slow down and sit and read the Bible and dive into the mystery of the Bible, um, Christian organizations and businesses and churches have picked up on this. Rather than maybe push back against that fastism, um, that, that hyperspeed world, rather than push back against that, we said, well, we'll just adapt. We'll, we'll make other things. And so this started with, like, way back in the day, like maybe 15 years ago, uh, it was super edgy and techie, where you could subscribe to a daily email with a verse. Super techie, I know. Daily email. Then, from the email, we evolved to the YouVersion app, where everybody now, you, can, you have the Bible on your phone. What? That's crazy. YouVersion has something like 2 million downloads of the Bible on phones. Um, and then it's, it's only continued to evolve. We have apps and podcasts and videos and all sorts of stuff um, that give us the Bible in short little snippets and chunks, these little spiritual chicken nuggets. And so these are phenomenal tools. Like, I'm not, I'm not dogging on these tool be- tools because I use a lot of them in my own life, and they've done great things. They've given many people access to Scripture, but what they've done is convince us that we should read the Bible in these short little packets and sections or chicken nuggets. And so um, we, we choose a nice little verse for the day or thought, and then we move on with our busy lives. And in doing this, we've become conditioned to think that, back to that first quote, that the Bible is a disconnected collection of good sayings, teachings, and stories to apply to our lives. Emphasis on that second phrase. We're convinced that the Bible is to apply to our lives. 
which is where I think we run into the second problem. And some of you are going to hear this and you'd be tempted to like, this guy's, he's completely wrong and stand up and walk out and that's fine. No judgment. But here's what I'll say. I think we're, we're tempted to think that the Bible is a book about us. We're tempted to think that the Bible is a book about us. And what do I mean when I say that? Nobody left, so you guys must agree. I don't know. We probably recognize that we are not a character in the Bible, and the Bible is not a story about our lives. The Bible is not about Jonah's life or your life. It's not, it doesn't directly have things to say about that. But we do have a way of making ourselves the central figure in, in how we read and understand the story of the Bible. And so let me explain. Many of us have grown up, um, if you grew up in church, in the evangelical church, with this system of reading and understanding the Bible. And it, that is called the CFRC system. CFRC. And what that means is that we read the Bible in this way. That the Bible is a story about the creation of humans, the fall of humans into sin, the redemption of humans by God, and the eventual consummation or the making new of humans. The Bible is a story that revolves around us, humans. And so evangelical Christians, we've been tempted to read the Bible in this way, and it's not inherently wrong. These elements are absolutely Throughout Scripture, these things are in the Bible, but reading the Bible in this way puts us at the center of the story. It puts me at the center of the story, and all of a sudden the Bible becomes a story that's about me. But the Bible is really a story about the gracious God of the universe. The Bible is not about what we can get out of it, it's about God who's making a kingdom. And so this way of reading the Bible, if we stick with the CFRC version, what we do is we kind of skip across the top of the Bible like a rock being thrown across a lake. We don't ever actually dive deep in within the waters. We just skip across the top because the CFRC way of reading the Bible goes from Genesis 3, the sin of Adam and Eve, jumps to the Gospels with Jesus, jumps to Revelation. You hear me? We skip so much of the Bible because we skip across the surface and most of the Old Testament doesn't matter except for the sin of Adam and Eve. We're like, ah, oh, it's a confusing one. There's weird names, weird stuff happens, but let's, you know, sin of Adam and Eve, let's get to Jesus and then Revelation and times. This is how we're tempted to read the Bible. But the issue is that that's not what the Bible is about because we skip so much, we miss so much, we don't dive deeply beneath the surface. And so as we go about our busy lives, what does it look like for us to read the Bible in depth, to dive into that mystery? We're left with the question, what is the Bible for? And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit, is what is the Bible for? So if we trace the biblical story, we find that a number of scholars describe a different way, an alternative way of reading the Bible from that CFRC way of reading the Bible, and that is the ABA way of reading the Bible, A. B, A. And what that means is this idea that God began, the story of the Bible begins with God's plan A, which includes the creation of all things, the world, the universe, everything in it, and people. And that God creates people and wants to be the people to be the co-heirs over creation with God. God wants people to rule over creation alongside God. But God was to remain the one true king. But the sin of Adam and Eve um, 
the sin that Adam and Eve gave into was that they wanted to be like God. Genesis 3, 5 reads this way. This is a serpent talking to Eve. The serpent says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will what? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so their sin was wanting to be in charge, wanting to have power, wanting to be like God. They didn't want to reign with God. They wanted to be God. And so the very first sin was a sin of power, of wanting to have power. So in this plan A, though, God doesn't stop there. God doesn't walk away from humans. God continues with the plan A. It's a little confusing of why God would, but God continues for several chapters of the Bible to choose particular people to have a relationship with and work through. Think of Noah and the ark. God chooses Noah and Noah's family. That's Genesis 5 through 10, but then the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, what are people doing again? They're trying to have power. They're trying to be like God. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and has a special relationship with Abraham, a covenant with Abraham. And that's how the story continues, that God chooses a particular person to walk with and to eventually have a relationship with and grow God's people out of. That's the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and eventually the Exodus with the whole nation, the whole people of Israel. So we've gone from one or two people to now God has chosen a whole people for God's self, a whole nation. And God says, I want to be yours, and I want you to be mine. And this is how things continue up until a really obscure and weird moment in Scripture that we don't ever usually actually read. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 8. This really weird, obscure, strange moment. If you have your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 4, it says this. So this is Samuel, he's a prophet, and God had been leading Israel, the nation of Israel, through prophets. Samuel's a prophet, um, and he's, he's been trying to lead Israel, but he's facing challenges now. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king, never been a king over Israel before, appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the matter was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they had said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people regarding all that they say to you, because they have not rejected you, they have rejected me for being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, in that they have abandoned me and served other gods. So they are doing to you as well. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall warn them strongly and tell them of the practice of the king who will reign over them. So then Samuel lays it out. He's like, guys, you really don't want a king. This king thing is going to be bad. It's not going to be good. We're going to face challenges and turmoil and strife and struggle. You don't want a king. Now, verse 19, the people come back. Yet the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us so that we may also be like all of the nations, and our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all of the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint a king for them. So after generations and generations of God desiring to be in direct relationship and leadership over God's people, God's people look at God through Samuel and they say, we don't want God anymore. We don't want God anymore. We want a king. We want a human king. And wildly, 
God says, give them what they want. Give them what they want, Samuel. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. God says, give them what they want. And this is where our ABA pattern switches to from A, God's plan A, a chosen specific group of people, to plan B. And in plan B, God allows Israel to be ruled and led through human kings. And this is the bulk of much of the Old Testament. Now, God doesn't walk away from Israel, but Israel faces significant challenges and hardships and strife and struggle because they're led by human sinful kings. Kings like Saul, David, Solomon, and others, they lead Israel, and they're often embarrassed at their ability to lead in comparison to God. And by rejecting God for human leaders, Israel misses out on generations and generations of true and genuine communion with God. And the prophets come along, and they try to kind of guide the course a little bit. They're the the weird guys on the sidelines, like, we're not doing this right. The prophets try to do that. Um, But God's people gradually take steps further and further and further away from God's original plan and design. But God never gives up on them. God never says, I don't want Israel anymore, despite the fact that Israel said, we don't want God anymore. God never says, I don't want Israel anymore. And then we hit the New Testament. And there's this sudden shift. And the story of the New Testament begins with a baby. A baby who we quickly realize is a king. But he's unlike lots of other different kings. He's a new king, and his name is Jesus. And we see quickly in the New Testament that Jesus came announcing a new kingdom. And it wasn't a kingdom of David or Solomon or the Roman Caesar or any other human. In Mark 1, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, here's what's important. We can keep that up there. God, he, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of David or the kingdom of Solomon or the kingdom of Caesar. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. What should this make us think? Plan A. Plan A. We're going back to plan A. And so Jesus is coming and saying, we're going back to plan A. The life and teachings of Jesus explain to us what it means to live in God's kingdom. And Jesus gives us an ethic, a way of living in God's kingdom. The life of Jesus is a demonstration for us of what it means to be kingdom citizens in God's kingdom. And then Jesus demonstrates the full power of God's kingdom by conquering sin and death once and for all at the cross. Then he gets gets up out of the ground a few days later and he sends his followers out into the world proclaiming God's kingdom and this story of Jesus, how God has brought about God's kingdom through Jesus. We've been restored to plan A. And God again rules and reigns directly over God's people. And the New Testament beyond the Gospels, the writings of the New Testament, are about the earliest Christians, kind of like us, trying to figure out what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom and not citizens of an earthly kingdom. That's the story of the Bible. And so the Bible is not a book about us. It's a book about Jesus. The Bible is a story about Jesus. It's not about some spiritual chicken nugget that we can get out of it. No, no, no. The Bible is the testimony of the means through which God has come once and for all and established God's kingdom through Jesus. That's the story of the Bible. A, B, A. And it's like if like A just got held down on the keyboard forever. A, A, A. 
forever. Biblical scholar Scott McKnight, he's a New Testament scholar, he says this, to make the story of the Bible first about us, or first about me and my salvation, is to reduce the story and to rob Jesus of the glory of being the central actor, because Jesus is the central actor of this ABA story. Not you, not me, we're not the central actor. Jesus is the central actor. And so let's not go robbing Jesus of his glory in exchange for some spiritual chicken nuggets, am I right? Amen. So we're left with this question. Jonah, you just shattered how maybe I've read the Bible forever. That was me too. When I, when I learned this, when I studied this, when I had to dive deep in it, because that's how I'd always read the Bible, CFRC. So how do we read the Bible? How are we supposed to read the Bible in this distracted and challenging age? I have two thoughts on this, and then we'll be done. Two thoughts. The first is this. We should read the Bible like an epic story and not a menu of spiritual chicken nuggets. When we understand that the Bible is much, much more than a dis- disconnected collection of good sayings and teachings and, and simple stories, but it's one connected epic story, it changes everything. It changes everything about how we read the Bible. We come to, the, to reading sections and pieces of the Bible and we say, oh, this is a part of the big story. And we can ask ourselves, are we in A, B, or A here? Where are we at in how we read the Bible? Reading the Bible becomes being about swept into the story of God, continually calling God's people back to God's self over and over again. That's the story of the Bible. God calling God's people back over and over again. The late uh, Rachel Held Evans, she passed it a few years ago. She wrote, Dignified or not, believable or not, Ours is a God perpetually on bended knee, doing everything it takes to convince stubborn and petulant children that they are seen and loved. And so reading the Bible becomes less about finding a, a kernel of some truth or, 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 or nugget or something like that, but more so about being enveloped in this mystery and story. It's kind of a nerdy thing, but this summer my wife and I have started doing this, this funny thing where a couple nights a week instead of watching Netflix or something like that, we, we sit and we have these brown chairs in our house and we sit in them and we read from a book aloud. Um, not, not the Bible. I'm not saying, well, we're so spiritual for reading the Bible. We're just reading from, you know, other books. Um, and it's this crazy thing where we, we put Netflix and TV away for an hour and we sit and one of us reads from a book aloud, which is super Little House on the Prairie, Ma and Pa, like nerdy type thing. Um, but we found that we've become so deeply enveloped in these stories that we never would have had before. And, and Netflix and those types of things, uh, movies, they become very, very good at storytelling, but it's fascinating that we can sit and read or listen and just be enveloped completely in this story. And so I'd ask, what if you engaged in a practice like that with the Bible? What if one night a week you turned off Netflix, turned off Grey's Anatomy, or we're watching Manifest right now, pretty good. You turn those off, and you sit and you read or even listen to a long section of the Bible. What if you read or listened to the Bible for 40 minutes, as long as a Netflix episode? What if you tried it? And what if you, you look to find, is, well, can I become enveloped deeply in this story? I think you might. I think you might. I think you'll find more appreciation for the Bible, reading it in large sections rather than small little chunks. So we, we need to become enveloped in the mystery and the story of the Bible. And second is, or yeah, second is this, and then I'll be done. I'll get out of the way, I promise. Um, we should read the Bible with the expectation of being transformed. We should read the Bible with the expectation of being transformed. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says that the Bible, the Word of God, is sharper than a double 
edged sword. So we come to the Bible, we shouldn't come to the Bible, oh, what's my little thing for today, and I'll take out and go with me. When we come to the Bible, there's going to be days that we are transformed. We are, we are cut to the core by the Bible because we live in an alternative kingdom from God's kingdom. We might know and follow Jesus, and we are striving to live into God's kingdom, but the world around us is not that way. And, and things about that kingdom seep into our lives and our brains and our hearts, and so the Bible sometimes cuts and has to cut away and transform us. And so that's the beauty of the Bible is that it's how we become people who live like Jesus is our king. The way that we read the Bible, we read the Bible expecting for it to transform us into people whose lives say Jesus is my king. Plan A, 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 A forever. And so we come to the Bible and we have to ask, Jesus, let me be immersed in this story. And this story that's all about you. And let this story be one that shapes and forms my life. And through this story, make me into someone whose life, whose life says, Jesus is my king. And so I believe that God transforms us when we ask him to, through the power of scripture. When we come to read to the Bible, we don't come looking for a spiritual chicken nugget. We come as a people looking to be transformed into people whose lives say, Jesus is my king. Amen? Let's pray together. I want to just read this over you. I, I, I just read it, but you say this to yourself in your own spirit. Jesus, let me be immersed in this story. In this story that's all about you. And let this story be one that shapes and forms my entire life. Through this story, make me into someone whose life says, Jesus is my king. Amen.